Welcome to the Logos Daily Podcast. At Logos Daily, we offer Logos Bible software coaching, Christian book reviews, and relevant interviews to reflect on life as a believer and to help keep us all growing. For more information about our coaching services or anything that Logos Daily has to offer, please go to our website at logos-daily.com. That's L-O-G-O-S-daily.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Logos Daily video series, podcast, wherever you're listening. We're, we're so thankful that you are. And today I've got a very special guest with me. When we started doing this podcast and putting it together several months ago, there were several people within the, the world of theology, within practical ministry, within Logos Bible software that wanted to interview. And this lady is one of the ones that was at the top of my list, Dr. Madison Pierce. She's the Assistant Professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. She completed her PhD in 2017 from Durham and published her thesis, Divine Discourse in the Epistle of the Hebrews from Cambridge University Press, and that came out in 2020. While she was a student at TEDS for her MDiv, her Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, she was a teaching fellow in New Testament and assistant book review editor for the Trinity Journal. During her PhD, she taught several biblical studies and Greek courses and presented at many uh, conferences, including one she co-organized, which I think is fantastic. And that conference led to the publication of a, a TNT Clark book in 2017 called Muted Voices of the New Testament, dealing with the Catholic uh, epistles and not the Roman Catholic, for those who don't know, but uh, books like James and Jude. Uh, James is in that list, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah, James, Jude, First Peter, Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, um, and so the, the Catholic books, not the ones written to a particular location. And then she's been published essays in peer-reviewed journals such as the New Testament Studies, Biblical Theology Bull, uh, Bulletin, as well as other edited collections. And her interests, which we're going to talk about this morning, are Hebrews, the use of Scripture and Scripture, and the Catholic epistles. She's married to Curtis. Uh, they have a two-year-old daughter, Isla, and the three of them enjoy music music, traveling, and time outdoors, and I want to encourage everyone uh, to check out her books. Also, I think the most important thing is that you're from Texarkana, right? I am, yeah, Texarkana. And I'm, I'm up in uh, Little Rock. Were you born in Texarkana? I technically was born in Irving, and then, okay. um, which this is important. I don't, I don't know about you, but um, my husband is a huge Cowboys fan, and so he says that the fact that I was born across the street from Old Texas Stadium, um, you know, that's part of why we were meant to be. So, um, moved to Texarkana, though. I think I was maybe uh, two or something like okay. that, and spent most of my life there. So, yep. and so I'm in Little Rock, so about two, two and a half hours. Uh, depending on how fast you're driving, and I'm from Tennessee, but uh, but have been in Arkansas for the last. But I thought that connection was neat. The uh, yeah. the five uh, the being here in Arkansas. Well, it is uh, Madison. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Did you have a good Christmas and New Year's? Yeah, it was wonderful. It of course was much more quiet than uh, most of our Christmases, but um, we had a really nice time. And um, as you said, we have a two-year-old and uh, this is probably the first year that she really got excited about Christmas. And we did like a little Advent thing with her this year and she got really excited about it. And so it was really fun to see her experience all that. And oh, we yeah. really enjoyed it. No, it's, that's fun. Well, up front, we do what we call quick fire questions. These are just about you, kind of the first thing that comes to mind, uh, kind of parlor type, parlor game type questions. So I've got five questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. And you've not, you've not seen these beforehand. Favorite TV <laughs> show or movie? 
Um, well, it's hard for me not to say the office when I see the Dwight Schrute right behind you. Yes, um, yes. But my, my first instinct is to go with Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now. I yes. really love that show. We're wa- my wife and I, we're actually watching that, re-watching that one again right now. Uh, oh, fantastic. We, we switched between Community, The Office, Parks and Rec, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, those are excellent. Just yeah. go back and forth. All right, well, what's a product you love that you'd be a spokesperson uh, or for a product for free? Um, this is super nerdy, but I love, we have budgeting software that I like really love. So we use the app, you need a budget. And I think it's so much fun. I love to evangelize people on that and I would happily work for them. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) If your, if your job didn't exist, what would you be doing right now? Oh, goodness. Um, I've thought about this a few times. I, one of the things that comes to mind is that I might be somebody's like administrative or executive assistant. I love organizing and stuff. Um, but I wonder also, I kind of have thought since I had my daughter um, that I would really love being a midwife too. Hmm. Oh, that's neat. Uh, what's a book outside of the Bible every Christian should read? Oh, goodness. Um, I. Oh, that's a hard one. That's much harder than the favorite TV show. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it probably shouldn't be, but it probably but it is. Um, I mean, what comes to mind? Um, I think that, goodness, I love, I mean, Scott McKnight's Blue Parakeet was really instructive for us um, early on. And I think it's an important, I mean, I know that not everybody will agree with some of Scott's assessments of things, but I think that any of those kind of introductory hermeneutical books um, that really kind of open your mind to different ways of reading the Bible are so important. So that's probably the one that I'll say. That's not really a fair question because that's such a huge, (laughs) no one's ready for that. Like we think about our food and TV shows but we don't really think about that. But what, what, so I'm going to come up with a different one for the next interview. But so this one's an easier one. What's your favorite meal? Oh, um, pizza. That, yeah. That's, you're right. That's not difficult. Do you have a favorite place you like to get pizza from? Uh, there's a place up the road that we really like that has Chicago style. It's a meals. Um, but yeah, we, so we love that. And, um, but if we were, let's see. If I had to go with like a, a chain or something like that, then we'll probably go with like Pizza Hut, Pizza, yeah. <laughs> which might be controversial, but we like the stuff crust. So. Hey, this, this is a podcast where we're not afraid to make stances. Like sometimes we double right. down and we say, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make the hard, hard decisions. Well, um, you received your PhD from Durham and kind of switching, <laughs> switching gears, but you, you received your PhD from Durham. It is an absolute honor and privilege to talk to you. You know, I told you before that uh, I really do think you, along with uh, several other uh, PhDs, are just kind of changing the world of scholarship. And of course, the, the long tenure of scholarship will really uh, determine all that. But uh, I think some of the stuff that you're doing is insightful, unique to the space. Uh, when I read your book, um, Divine Discourses, uh, it, it, was, it was something that I thought, oh, th- these are not ideas that I've considered before, uh, where so often I'll, I'll get a book and it feels like kind of a rehash. And th- this was something unique to the space. But you got your PhD from Durham. What made you choose that school? And did you go into your PhD programming knowing that Hebrews was going to be your area of focus? Or did you kind of fall into it? How do you get there? I'll start with the easy question, which is absolutely Hebrews what has been my thing for the better part of the decade. Um, 
So when I was at Washita, just uh, down the road from you in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, I took a class with Joey Dodson on Hebrews and general epistles, um, or he affectionately refers to it as Hebristles. Um, and I, I remember, I mean, as early as the first day, just feeling like I get this book and it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I didn't feel like I had gotten a good grasp on how um, the Old Testament or how scripture related to the New Testament prior to that. I felt like I'd been given an answer that it was insufficient or temporary or something like that. And so suddenly to see how integral and crucial it was to the argument of Hebrews, uh, I, I just, I fell in love. And I mean, even just the way that the author argues and talks and all of that, it just, it resonated with me. Oops. Um, I think you said that it feels very different than a, a Pauline text. And I totally agree. And um, for whatever reason, the way that he flows through the text makes, made a lot of sense. So as far as why I chose Durham, um, there aren't a lot of people in the world, especially um, those who are supervising uh, PhD students that work on Hebrews. Mm. And so I had to make some interesting decisions about who, where the best place would be. Um, and basically, uh, again, Joey Donson, he said, pick, you know, pick one of the best New Testament scholars in the world and they will be able to supervise you on anything. Um, and he was absolutely right. And he steered me toward quite a few people, but um, the thing that stuck was uh, I had a conversation with John Barclay really early on. He's also at Durham. And uh, he said that he was interested in working with me. And then as the conversations progressed, I was introduced to Francis Watson. And Francis told me that he loved Hebrews, that he had actually studied it with N.T. Wright at Oxford and had really um, fallen in love. And he, he had worked with uh, George Caird. And so um, to make a long story short, if you like Hebrews, then you're okay in my book. And so I'm so thankful that God steered me toward working with Francis because we got along really well. And uh, I, we loved our time in Durham. And it, it's such a special place. And uh, it's definitely a, a place that my family and I really, really love and appreciate. So, Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Hebrews is uh, one of my favorite books because you do, as you said, you get something unique in it that you don't get in other uh, Pauline epistles. You get the Melchizedek, you get Jesus's priesthood, and you get, in my mind, you get to see Hebrews, if the gospel is Jesus, the fulfillment of Israel's history, you get to see that more clearly than kind of played out in an epistle form than the Gospels. And so it brings things together, but it's harder to read uh, for <laughs> sure, uh, which I want to ask about in a moment. But you're, you're there, you're at Trinity, you're teaching. What courses are you teaching this semester? This semester is a little bit interesting for me. So I'm basically teaching like all exegesis. Um, so we teach three exegesis classes to all of our MDiv students and, and our other master students, but it's primarily part of our MDiv curriculum. And uh, so one, two, and then exegesis for preaching. And I get the opportunity to teach in all of those. And then also a class on Hebrews. Um, so this is my bread and butter. Greek and, and Hebrews is, uh, you know, all I want to do. So <laughs> I'm loving it. Well, that, that, that's good. I'm sure your, uh, your students are very blessed to have you there. Well, let's talk about your book. I, I really profit, profited from your book for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you take a Trinitarian view, which is, I think, refreshing for New Testament scholarship today. I'm not a scholar. I'm a uh, 
pastor, a preacher that kind of dabbles in academic works. Um, because I always think in my work as a pastor, a preacher, I need a commentary that helps that that is written towards the pew. But I also need commentaries and monographs that are written towards the seminary. And some of it goes over my head, which, which I'm completely fine with. But there's also some nuggets and some truth that uh, even if I don't, put those things in a sermon, it informs my view. It takes me to a deeper level of, of the text and the, what the author, author meant. So I found that refreshing, your, your Trinitarian view on Hebrews. But secondly, uh, I believe you add something unique to the space because I always saw Hebrews in light of only Jesus's role. Um, and so it was Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. We, we did, I have an undergrad in Bible. We, we studied a lot about Jesus's role in Hebrews. Um, but you, you get something in your, your, book, you take it on the theme of divine discourse, and you say uh, that the formal structure of the epistle of the Hebrews is difficult to determine, but I, which I think is true, but I never thought of the book in terms of speeches from the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it kind of opened up this world to me of, oh, I've never even, I knew there's these quotes and the way they're using scripture, but I had never considered uh, these, the book in terms of speeches from Father, Son, and Spirit. So I found that fascinating. So I kind of wanted to go through those just at a top level. And within Hebrews, what is the Father saying? If, if we're getting these divine speeches, these divine discourse, what, what's the Father saying? And who's he saying it to? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you want me to go and order through the book or to go kind of father, son, spirit. You like do what I, you want. Okay, well, um, I'll, I'll go in order then so that we can kind of trace the logic of Hebrews. And you feel free to interrupt me or jump okay. in if, I, if you want to. Um, so first, the first thing is the father speaks to the son primarily. Um, and when he does, he talks about who the son is and what he's qualified to do. And so as early as Hebrews 1, we see, you know, the first quotation is, you are my son today, begotten you in Hebrews 1, 5. Um, and then there's a series of quotations. And I think that they're primarily to the son, but then they are kind of secondarily about the angels, because that's the main kind of contrast that comes in Hebrews 1. And so it's, this is what the son does. Uh, he, he's worshiped by the angels. He's not like the angels. Um, they can be changed, but he endures forever. And then finally, um, he says to the son, sit on my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool. And then the author tells us a little bit more about how the son relates, not just to the angels, but also to humanity. Um, and with that, we get to hear the son speak. And so the son says back to the father um, in Hebrews 2, 12 and 13, he says, um, uh, first, uh, I will declare your name. Um, to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. And then I will put my trust in him. Here I am in the children that uh, God has given me. And so basically we see in Jesus this proclamation of faithfulness. So uh, throughout Hebrews, we see Jesus as um, acting and enabling and also um, being an example of faithfulness for his brothers and sisters, for humanity. Um, and I think that that is uh, really clear in those quotations in Hebrews too. And then in Hebrews 3, we have, this is a distinctive thing of, of Hebrews, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit speaks a quotation of scripture. And it's the second longest quotation in the whole New Testament, no, sorry, the third, third longest quotation in the whole New Testament um, from Psalm 95. And so it starts out, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So basically the Spirit is saying, listen to God, do not you know, forsake him, listen, listen to him, be obedient. And the author of Hebrews uses this quotation to tell his audience 
that there's a promise that is still standing for them, that they can enter into God's rest. And so at the end of that section, which is a, a really long series of quotations where the author is bringing Psalm 95 back in, he's showing how this is a warning to us, but it's also a promise because we do have that opportunity. And at the end of it, there's this big section, and this is one that most people are a little bit more familiar with in Hebrews, where he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us, uh, let's see, um, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, or it's, it's an, it may be another um, kind of iteration of that. But effectively, it says, Jesus is our high priest, so we need to respond to that well. And this is usually, um, in a lot of different ideas about the structure, it's thought to be a kind of turning point. And um, I'll, I'll stop in a second to, to let you ask a question if you want to, but um, it, it's after this that this pattern repeats again, that we, ha we had Father, Son, Spirit, and then after that, as we move into what many recognize to be the second major section of Hebrews, well, lo and behold, we have the Father, Son, and Spirit speak to us again. So, um, yeah, in the next section, it's more about the covenant, more about the priesthood of Christ. But as you said, um, although many people focus on Christ um, and his role, what we see in Hebrews is that the, the three persons are working together, that God is the one who sent Jesus, that Jesus is faithfully acting on behalf of the Father and, of course, the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that is speaking to the community and saying, listen, react, respond in the way that is appropriate to these important words that are being said to you. And so, um, yeah, I think there are some important patterns there. Wow. <laughs> like I said, I'll stop. <laughs> no, no, I would love to sit in one of your classes. That is, uh, <laughs> that is absolutely uh, interesting. So uh, you, let's back up to the Jesus uh, kind of there at the beginning, uh, the angels and then the, the brothers. And um, you, you talked about the siblings, I think was the word, word that you had used. And would those, would those ideas of the angels, you know, as I was reading through Hebrews and your book, uh, would those have, to his original audience or the author's original audience, would those concepts have made a lot of sense? Because when I read uh, Hebrews, it, and I try to take myself out of it where I've not read it before, I'm thinking, where are angels coming from? Like, wh why, why? I think is my question. Why does why does the author of Hebrew frame Jesus's work in the context of you know if Jesus is faithful, and you know kind of the oath of God, the covenant of God, and the faithfulness of Jesus and the faithfulness of God? Why does why are these imageries from the Old Testament used to help the author of Hebrews make his point? Yeah, there. Are, you're right. It's it's strange, and really, um, there's not a lot in the rest of the New Testament that informs this. I, yeah. I mean, um, and it, it depends on what's going on. So, um, you know, sometimes people will look at this and think there must be a problem. So, when we read the New Testament, we think, okay, you know, this this is being discussed because it's an issue that needs to be fixed by the author that's writing, and of course, we see this in Paul's writings. Um, or the other, you know, kind of more neutral explanation would be, this is just something that's important to them. And, mm -hmm. you know, it makes sense to them in a way that it really doesn't to us, as you said. Um, and so if it's the first thing, then what we might see in Hebrews is something like what we see in even Colossians, where it seems to be that some people are worshiping or venerating angels in an unhealthy way. Gotcha. And so that's a proposal that's been put forward. Although most people don't hold to that. And, and of course, we see almost nothing in the New Testament. We have one verse in Colossians that can actually be read in a different way. 
and then we have this in hebrews and but hebrews doesn't say anything negative about the angels in fact what hebrews does all throughout is it's, it doesn't just contrast in fact this is something that i have to push with my students quite a bit because they think it's all about how jesus is different better best etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's really important in hebrews to see where the author isn't just showing how jesus is different but showing how he's similar because it's the similarities that he's building on. So he's basically, he's taking the best from their understanding, their theology, and he's building on that. If I told you that, um, you know, uh, a kid in our local high school, that he's a better basketball player than I am, well, that's probably not going to mean very much to you. And it really shouldn't, because I'm terrible at basketball. But if I tell you that, a kid in our local high school is a better basketball player than LeBron James, well, that will mean something. Uh -huh. And so that's what Hebrews is doing, is he's taking these exemplars. And uh, one, and you know, what, what, what's exemplary about the angels? There's a lot of different possibilities here. One of them is that they're in this kind of hierarchy of divine beings. They're people that God relies on. Um, they're powerful, et cetera, et cetera. But another thing is, and this is something I've even learned since I wrote the book, uh, or I've at least learned more about, is that angels are priests. Hmm. And so, at least in the heavenly tabernacle, and a lot of early Jewish literature, so not necessarily in the Bible, but in literature that would have been uh, common for the author of Hebrews and the audience of Hebrews, angels are priests in the heavenly tabernacle. And so, for Jesus to be like them but not to be a, a you know a perpetual priest etc cetera, etc cetera, that says something um so i think that they you know he's like the levites in some ways but lives forever he's like the angelic priests but he's a high priest um so again i think the author is building and it shows how crucial the priestly imagery is for hebrews and that's yet another important distinctive of that text in the new testament well well it is and you you help us think through melchizedek and jesus's priesthood and i've always liked that because it was unique and it's out of nowhere it's in genesis 14 <laughs> it shows up again in psalms 110 it's just a, a kind of a quote and then the next we hear about it is in the book of hebrews so for someone who has uh not maybe read hebrews before because the hebrews when people say what's the you know maybe you're a new christian or you've you've been a believer for a long time but you really want to read the bible uh and people ask what book should i read people aren't throwing out hebrews uh <laughs> they're, they're like go to john mark's the shortest one you know john for his theology but hebrews is not you, so you get these things that are kind of at a deeper level so melchizedek always um kind of puzzled me so what is going on with jesus's priesthood in melchizedek and you've talked about it uh, a little bit uh just a moment ago about so is, G, is, is the author there making the comparison that Jesus is like that priest, but different? Like what, what's the point of Melchizedek? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Melchizedek is, um, is a little, is probably distinctive even in Hebrews in that um, the author never makes an explicit contrast. And I think that that's important. So elsewhere, like I said, with the Levites, and, and again, this is something that a lot of people miss when they read Hebrews, because they think, oh, he, he's saying, not a Levite, not a Levite, not a Levite. But if you read in Hebrews 5, he says, every high priest is taken from humanity, every high priest is called, et cetera, et cetera. So he's saying, 
here's how Jesus is like the human high priest. Um, but then when we get to uh, Hebrews 7, it's, he set up that Hebrews, or sorry, that Jesus can't be a Levitical high priest because, and he says this, he says, clearly he's from the line of Judah. Everybody knows that. So he is from the Davidic line. And so he, he has introduced this comparison with this somewhat random individual that Abraham happened to bump into in the desert at some point. And if we look at just the biblical record, that at least gets us partway there. Because again, we see that Abraham, uh, he gives an offering to Melchizedek. Um, uh, Melchizedek blesses him. So that creates a kind of hierarchy, um, even with the Levitical priest. So now we are contrasting Jesus and the Levitical priest. Um, and then in, Hebrew, in, sorry, in Psalm 110, we see that he's a priest forever. And so that, that puts all the pieces on the table that we need to understand that, but it is random if we only look at the biblical record. And so what's interesting is that in, again, in early Jewish literature or in texts outside the Old Testament that were being written around this time, and this is particularly the case like in um, literature from Qumran or what we all you know, refer to as the Dead Sea Scrolls, that Melchizedek is a really big deal and, um, and a really strange figure. Um, he is releasing people from the debt of their iniquities. He is um, a powerful angel that's opposing Belial, the, the wicked, wicked angel, and all this stuff. And he's a priest. Mm. And so it seems, um, or at least this one that we can refer to as Melchizedek. And so... Um, there's a kind of larger than life thing going on in Hebrews. And I, I, this, is the, this is how I teach it to my class. It's that um, there is a historical Melchizedek. We see him in Genesis. Then we see this legend develop around Melchizedek. And it comes out of readings of Psalm 110. Again, that's, now we're talking about the biblical record and then what goes beyond the biblical record. And I, I know that um, this might be a little bit hairy or feel uncomfortable if we're talking about you know, non-biblical texts and forming a biblical author, but bear with me. So in Hebrews, um, so sorry, what we see in, in scripture is something like St. Nicholas. What we see in Hebrews and in the early Jewish literature is the hype around St. Nicholas. Let, let us call him Santa Claus. So in Qumran, we see this figure who is legendary status. And, and those texts don't agree with each other. Um, some of them say he's this, some of them say he's that. Um, you know, maybe he's uh, getting down the chimney. Uh, you know, maybe he's flying with Rudolph, we don't know. Um, but then Hebrews is, he's building on the hype, but he's not saying it's true. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that Jesus is uh, more powerful than the legends that you've heard about this Melchizedek. Oh, wow. And so, um, again, some of this is still kind of, you know, it, makes, it might make us bristle a little bit yeah. or confuse us or whatever. But again, Hebrews is not saying that's true. He's saying that Jesus is bigger than that. Oh, that's and incredible. And so, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stop for a second. But that, that's kind of how I think about Focus of Egg. No, keep going. That, that's wonderful. It, uh, and for anyone, you know, I want to clarify because uh, you hit on some things where someone might bristle you are not saying that scripture is not sufficient for everything in faith and practice. Let me throw a wrench in for people who might, you know, bristle at extra biblical text. What do you do where, uh, and, and I'm not going to give them to you 
we're not going to, that's not the point of this podcast. But when New Testament authors quote extra biblical text, uh, what do you do with that? And then also to assume that the only things God has ever done are written and recorded in the Bible uh, is a narrow view of God. It doesn't mean that the scripture is not sufficient for everything in faith and practice. It's just saying that God is not limited, bound by, is that, make, is that making sense? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I want to encourage anybody who kind of, well, extra biblical text. Uh, man, those guys were born into a context, right? Like the the authors of the New Testament were born in a context, and you know, it just informed their context. And we we shouldn't be afraid of that, should we? I don't think so, because yeah. as you say, it it reveals how complex and uh, powerful God is. That he could work through all of these different extra biblical sources that yes, he was continuing to work through his people. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times, especially in evangelical circles, we talk about the intertestamental period as yeah. a period of silence. And that completely disqualifies like so many wonderful things that God was doing to yep. prepare the way for Jesus. Yep. And some of these texts are precisely that. And so the, in that time period, the, um, the focus on, angels and messiahs and all of these different figures the power of god the anticipation for what god would do in their midst those things completely pave the way for the new testament yep. and and they they help our new testament authors to communicate with their audiences in a fruitful way that of course is enduring for us and I, yeah i think that in hebrews we do see this a lot um, we, you know, if you look at Hebrews 11, where he's talking about all these different figures from scripture and what he says about them, a lot of that doesn't come from our canonical texts. When he's talking about, he talks about Moses um, kind of evangelizing and warning the people around him and saying, hey, judgment is coming. That, that's in Hebrews. We don't see that in the, in the Old Testament. We don't see that in Genesis, but we do see it in extra biblical literature. Yeah. And so he's pulling from that. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean, or doesn't at all mean that those things are canonical, that we should revere them in the same way that we do scripture, but that we should consider them as, um, by the grace of God, accurate or um, some, you know, uh, text that can give us a kernel of truth about God in yep. the same way that um, our books about scripture, our commentaries, our, our preaching, our teaching, um, we hope that that's saying something true about God that will illumine the people that we're communicating with. So we think of them as the um, preachers and pastors and yeah. uh, scholars who went before us in a sense. No, that, that's so helpful. Two things come to mind. One is, you know, God has worked in my life. He's worked in your life. And those things aren't written down in the Bible, but it doesn't mean that those things didn't happen. Uh, totally. So that would be one thing. And then the other, it's it kind of like that age old question, do, do people take the Bible literally? And I would say, no, I don't, but I do take it authoritatively. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, we, I think we're trying to protect scripture and we miss the point. It's almost adventures and missing the point where we're doing. And sometimes I think we may end up doing more damage than we need to. So that is so helpful, uh, Madison, to hear about okay. Hebrews. I'm going to ask a question that I know you're going to say I don't know to, but this is the no spin zone. So we got to ask it. <laughs> I know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think wrote Hebrews? And or who do you think most likely was the one to write Hebrews? And I don't know is a fair answer, but I'd love to have a guess. Yeah, ultimately, I'm going to rest on I don't know. Um, because, yeah, any choice that we make with this is really conjectural yeah. because we're either saying that it has to be somebody whose writings we know, 
Yeah. Um, and so we make a comparison with Paul or Luke or even Clement of Rome. Um, or we're saying it's somebody that we know of, but we have no idea how that person writes. And Apollos is, of course, the, the great um, option here. Um, what, what Acts says about Apollos makes a lot of sense in light of what we know about Hebrews. We don't know what, how Apollos writes. We don't know if he's capable of writing Hebrews. It's, it seems like it. But we have nothing from him that would confirm that. And the, the other thing that I, I like to throw out there is, um, although Apollos is probably the modern favorite, uh, the first person to propose Apollos is Martin Luther. So in, in early Christian literature, in the first you know, 1,500 years of Christianity, this never occurred to anybody. And so while it makes perfect sense to us now, in hindsight, um, that's, that gives me a little bit of pause. So that's probably my favorite still, but yeah. I do think it has considerable uh, limitations. You just so. don't know. That's fair. Yeah. I had to ask, but that, that's fair. <laughs> well, you are, uh, I found out you're a Logos Bible software user. A lot of our listeners and people watching uh, use Logos Bible software. That's what Logos Daily does is we, we coach people to use it. So I think it's fascinating that a, a PhD, a researcher would use Logos Bible software can you give us kind of the 30,000 foot view of how you're using the software, maybe even some of your favorite features? Oh yeah. So um, I love it. I mean, most of my commentaries that I have on Hebrews are in Logos itself. And in fact, that's definitely my preference for reference works because I can sync them up. So I have like a Hebrews layout and basically as I work through the text, my commentaries are automatically going exactly where I'm at. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm writing a commentary on Hebrews. I'm, I'm, uh, I probably shouldn't tell you all where I'm at, but it's really early on. And um, so when I go to that verse, I, you know, I type it in and then I read what so-and-so says. And then the next person, you know, Kester, Attridge, et cetera, and kind of work through. And um, I find that so helpful. And then it's also the case that, you know, as I'm working through the text, I, of course, have the Greek and the English available to me. Um, I have the Septuagint, so I can look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, and I got synced up with the Hebrew version of the Old Testament and can work through and, uh, and can do all of my word searches. And so um, I've been using Logos since I did my MDiv, so it's, it, yeah, it's been, an, a, been a 10 years, and um, I, I have loved it. So I, I've... Uh, figured out some some pretty um, nerdy searches at this point and um, but it's been a huge resource to me yeah oh, it's it's amazing it is uh, I fell in love with it two years ago and I've never looked back I probably use it four or five hours every day um, oh, wow. and just you know, I'm, I'm I've nerded out I don't watch sports but I do logos sort of thing and uh, so yeah well that's that's uh, Dr. Madison Pierce's official endorsement of Logos Bible <laughs> software. So, and I just, I didn't know, I, I am elated that you're writing a book on Hebrews. I was telling a friend the other day, I hope you write a book on Hebrews, a uh, commentary. And so, do you know when that's going to be out? It's going to be a while. And okay. um, I, I owe it. And I think it's like 2027. Uh, you know, if the Lord allows, maybe I'll be able to turn it in early. That's certainly everybody's hope for the project. Uh, my my publisher, uh, in particular, but um, but probably like end of this decade is okay. is our best hope. Yeah. So sorry, well, it's way out there. But... Well, I will be the first one in line to buy a copy. I, I sincerely <laughs> will. I, I think it's. Uh, I think you're wonderful. I think your work is wonderful. Um, and so I think, and I think that'll give enough time. I, I would rather you spend a decade on it 
and it be something that is lasting to the church than something that is quick that we're all going to kind of move on to the next thing. So I'm, I say, take as long as you need. It'll be a benefit and we'll be waiting for it when it gets here. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm loving it so far. So. Good, good, good. Well, uh, Madison, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. And so we're going to put your links to your books, uh, affiliate links in the description of everything. And I uh, want to remind everyone that Logos Daily, we offer Logos Biblesoft. Uh, we're coaching courses. We've got workshops. Go to our website at logos-daily.com, L-O-G-O-S-daily.com uh, to check out all the things that we offer. If you're stuck anywhere with using the software, uh, find a coach. We've got all the times and availability and the coaches available uh, that we can sit down one-on-one -on -one and talk to you about your library your package that you have in Logos, how to utilize it, and it, wouldn't it be a shame if you spent really good money on a luxury sports car and then kept it in the garage and never got it out? And we want to we wanna take you from being a user to a fan of the software. So don't hesitate to reach out to us at logos-daily.com, and uh, we'll, we'll see you all next time. God bless. <music>